Hello and welcome to the Durham Talents channel. My name is Jesse Durham and we are making our next installment in our book review of R. Nelson Nash's book, Becoming Your Own Banker. Today we'll be covering pages 17 and 18 where he discusses the problem. Now, he begins by referencing John chapter 5 from the New Testament in the Bible, and he uses a verse that says, do you want to get well? So the story says that there was a man who had been in a, an infirm condition for 38 years, he had a medical issue, and the first thing that Jesus did was ask him, do you want to be better? Do you want to get well? And, and I love how Nash, and I've read this several times, folks. I've read this book of, of Becoming Your Own Baker several times. And yet when I read it again in preparation for this study, I love that he starts with desire. Do we want to learn? Do we want to have an open mind? Do we want, are we willing to use our imagination? Are we willing to look at the reason and the logic, as Nash would say? So the impetus is on us. And, and of course, I do believe that, in fact, those of you that are watching this, that are trying to dive into the deeper waters of what it means to practice infinite banking, you are the ones that are wanting to, you are the ones that are seeking and asking and knocking. So credit to you. Now, he started with what we want. And let me, let me say that Nash does use, I mean, when you turn to the page, you'll see that there's, there's a graph where he's showing in a chart fashion what is being spent by the average all-American towards housing and such, living expenses, and, and what's being set aside for savings or not being set aside for savings. Before we dive too closely in on the numbers, I would like to point out that he structures his book around the human condition first. Remember, we, we have to account for the human element of things, meaning that the, the numbers also are not going to necessarily be the same today in 2021 at the time of this recording, whereas the book was first written in 2000, okay? But the principles of the human conditions, the principles of what people are doing with money, they're the same. So I don't want us to get too focused, and he'll actually talk about rates of return and different things. So let's just dive in on this section of the book, 17 and 18, The Problem. And if we look at the work of R. Nelson Nash as a play, as he encourages us to look at a play and the characters in the play. Well, I would also continue that by saying if, if the characters in the play are as he describes them, the problem is going to be the plot. So what we're looking at and evaluating now is going to be the plot in the play. So I would indeed preface by saying that when describing the problem, Nash is using specific numbers with good reason, because sure, there may be some changes, but in general, we, we, we are and we do as we do. So if more or less is spent on living expenses or more or less is spent on autos, okay, I, let's not get so bogged down in the minutia that we... We miss the forest for the trees, okay? These principles are evergreen, okay? 
And the idea that everything is financed and either we use other people's money and pay them interest according to their terms and conditions or we set aside cash and we forfeit the opportunity to earn forever on that, recognizing that everything is financed, those are the options until we look at practicing infinite banking as described by R. Nelson Nash in his book. When we recognize that, we will, I believe, arrive at knowing that the numbers, even if they've changed some between 2000 at the time of the writing of this book and 2021, that the principles remain permanent. The principles um, have continued. They're evergreen. They're not changing. Who controls the banking function in your life? Who controls the banking function as it pertains to you? That doesn't change. So the spending habits of the average American are, are evaluated here. Now, Nash does say, and I'm glad that he does because it was certainly not my case to start rich, to start off being a rich person looking to propagate and grow and expand what it was I already had going on. That, that was that was not, not my case. And, you know, I would remind us that decimals move left and right. Regardless of whether we're talking about a dollar or a million dollars or less or more, it doesn't matter. Decimals move left and right. It, you know, you eat an elephant one bite at a time. The longest journey is started with one step. So you don't have to be rich to start. Okay. You, you, you actually can also, Nash points out on page 17, you can build a system that will be able to accommodate all of your need of finance. And that's very encouraging as well. I don't know how long it would take you to be able to account for your entire financial footprint, all of your need of finance in a household or a business or your investing or whatever it is that you do. But it is possible to be able to create a system that will eventually account for our entire need of finance. And you don't have to be rich to start. Now, I would like to point out before we start talking about after-tax dollars, as he does in this example, I don't want to jump clear over pre-tax dollars. I mean, just think with me, if you will, because I know there there will be some 9-to-5 folks on here. So if you're a 9-to-5 person in, in your career and in, in what it is that you do, imagine working Monday and Tuesday just to pay taxes and then only keeping... Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday's earnings. That's a pretty accurate portrayal of taxes. What if you work for yourself, you run a small business, you may be a specialist. Okay, walk that scenario out. Imagine working January, February, March, April, maybe a little more, and only only doing those first few months worth of work just to pay your taxes. So I'm just trying to get us to think, you know, if you work a 12-hour shift, imagine working your first four hours just to pay taxes. So you see what I'm saying here. We're going to talk about after-tax dollars in looking at Nash's book, but boy, taxes are going to be an important discussion uh, throughout as well. So what, what Nash says is that with after-tax dollars, 
he accounts for 20% going to auto, 30% going to housing, 45 to living expenses, and 5% to savings. Now, I don't know that it couldn't be argued that less than 5% is being uh, set aside for savings. What Nash does is he takes a best-case scenario. He gives a very conservative uh, layout. What he actually does is in his chart, he shows 20% to the auto. That's the same. 30% to housing. And only 40% being used towards living expenses. And he gives a very generous, in my estimation, I believe you'd find it to be true as well, 10% to savings. So I, I would argue that most Americans are not setting aside 10% separate from what they're spending on housing and living and, and auto. I, I don't know that that's true, that most people are setting aside 10%. But Nash, in his generosity, wants to show us the principles that are that are here to, to those that are going to look and evaluate. Again, let me preface, everything is financed. Either we're paying interest or we're forfeiting the opportunity to earn interest. So let's look at each of these categories. With vehicles, and I challenge you to do this for yourself. I literally dare you, if you have a vehicle commercially financed, to look at your statement, especially if you can go back to the beginning. Look at how much of your payment went to interest instead of principal. And again, especially in the beginning, and you're going to see why that's important here in just a second. When I did that for the first time, I mean, when I became cognizant enough to look at that, it was infuriating because I have, I've bought vehicles, cash money. I've bought vehicles, commercially financed. Now, of course, I've been practicing the infinite banking concept for several years. And I just challenge you to look at your statement if you have something already commercially financed. Also, let's recognize that most vehicles are not paid off when they're traded in for the next vehicle purchase. So follow with me here. If you will dare to look at your statement and see how much is going to interest in the beginning. Because when a repayment is made commercially, interest is to be repaid first then the principal is getting paid back. So that's just a fixed mathematical truth that in the beginning, the volume of interest is greater than as that note amortizes. So interest is being paid back first. And if vehicles are not paid off when they're traded in for the next vehicle, what does that mean for the following vehicle? Are you catching on? What that means is that the volume of interest is perpetual and it is large. It's There's a perpetually massive amount of vol, a volume of interest being paid for vehicles that we truly don't own. Again, because they're the collateral. So, the volume is what we should be focusing on, not the rate. Again, and especially at the time of this recording, in, in a day and age, 2021, where you can, and again, allegedly get 0% financing, I don't believe that that's going to be the case when we really think about it. Because let's recognize this, the customer pays for everything. Think about that. The customer pays for everything. If the equipment begins to cost more for a business to operate, 
Where does that ultimately show up? Well, it shows up in the price. So again, I know there are those out there that will tell you 0% financing. Okay. Okay. 0% <laughs> financing. That's going to show up. The customer pays for everything. Okay. And let's contrast that. And we'd be jumping into a different category. We'd be jumping into the living expenses category, I suppose. Uh, and again, I know that there are introductory rates, 0% for the first 12 months. Okay. Tell me there are not credit cards that are earning 25% interest. Okay. I, I believe you're going to be following what I'm saying here. So again, back on autos. And most most automobiles are leased. They're, they're more leased than even conventionally financed. And that is even a worse case scenario. So vehicles. The volume of interest is more important than considering an APR, than considering the rate, okay? And, and an example would be medication. If you needed medication from a doctor, it's not so important the rate that you are given that medication, but what's more important is the volume of the medication. Because if there's not enough, then it very well may not be effective for its intended purpose, right? And if there is more than should be, it could be deadly. So it's the volume that is more important than the rate. Okay, let's move on to housing then. What I will contend and what Nash lays out here, I'm, I'm merely conveying his message that we're not really buying houses when we get a mortgage. And there's something to be said about the word itself. The word mortgage means death pledge. Death pledge. Mort, death and then the goods, um, I think I said that kind of awkwardly, <laughs> breaking up the word. But I believe you follow me. Mortgage. Death pledge. Interesting etymology there. So we're not buying the houses. What we're actually doing is we're building up two industries. We're building up the banking industry, commercial banking industry, and we're building up the real estate industry. Because again, just like with commercially financing vehicles, I dare you to, if you have a mortgage, I, I don't care if it's 15 years, I don't care if it's 30 year. I dare you to look at how much, again, especially in the beginning, and you'll see why in a second, but especially in the beginning, look at how much interest is going towards this note that you have over principal. It is a massive difference. The volume of interest that is being paid on the mortgage is astounding. And again, when we recognize, much like with vehicles, that people move regularly. People refinance. And every time something happens where, where we're starting over, the, the biggest amount of, of interest is, is at the beginning. So when you refinance... And I'm not I'm not saying don't try and get a better rate. If that's what you want to do, get get a better rate. But what I am saying is don't ignore the volume of interest that is forever leaving your hands to build someone else's business, whether that's the commercial banking business or real estate business. Don't overlook that. The worst years are those are those first years 
We're paying so much more towards interest. There's virtually nothing going towards the principal. And again, it doesn't matter if it's a 15-year mortgage or a 30-year mortgage. If we know that many times the case is that five years later, seven years later, someone moves because of work or what have you, or there's a refinancing and we start right back over paying the greatest volume of interest on that death pledge, on that mortgage. I dare you to look up your numbers. See how you feel about that. Now, living expenses. Uh, the vast majority uh, goes to living expenses. Now, there's a lot that could go here. It could be a boat. It could be a motorcycle. It could be vacations. It could be credit cards. It could be any number of things here that are part of our living expenses. And the the, the interest here, if we'll start tallying up the what we are spending towards vehicles and housing and whatever our living expenses happens to look like, auto insurance, uh uh, property taxes, etc. When we start to, to calculate all of that up, and again, regardless of what, what the APR is on an individual item, the auto or the home or our credit cards or, or what have you, when we compile that, recognizing that the volume is what's important, and we see that the average American is paying 34.5% interest out of every dollar that we earn, it's staggering. Again, remember that Nash gave a generous 10% in savings. He assumed that the average American is going to be setting aside 10%. There is a th more than a 3 to 1 ratio between the amount of interest that is forever leaving our hands and what we're saving. And again, that's a generous number. So over a 3 to 1 ratio, interest being paid over what we are saving. So while rate of return is what's going to be talked around the uh, uh, the water station or talked around the dinner table or what have you, while, while we're chasing a better rate of return on our saving or whatever we're doing in investing, we're overlooking the bleeding out of interest to autos, housing, and our living expenses. Now, Nash is a is a self-proclaimed aviation fanatic. He loved flying. He had done it from an early age. So consult the book for, for recollecting his love of flying. He gives a great, practical, easily recognizable situation to compare to this problem that the average American faces in aviation. So he describes flying as as it is a reality through an environment so no no airplane flies through a vacuum he says uh, an air an airplane flies through an environment just like we operate through an environment there are highs there are lows and he points out when you're watching the weather on the news or what have you you see that there are systems of highs and systems of lows across the land and he describes the winds, let's say, of a particular system, the headwinds, if there's a headwind of 345 miles per hour. Headwind of 345 miles per hour. Even if you have a plane, an airplane, that can move at 100 miles per hour, 
If you were to try to leave Birmingham, Alabama to go up to Chicago, Illinois, you're going to be moving to Miami. <laughs> you're going to be going backwards hundreds of miles per hour. He said the best thing you could do is set the airplane down because, again, if the airplane can only go 100, you got a headwind of 345, you're going nowhere except backwards. Now, he says if you, if you are patient, you give it time, you let the headwinds pass, and the eye of the system is calm, smooth, you could progress at 100 miles per hour, the full 100 miles per hour. Now, what he points out here is that it's easy for the arrival syndrome to set in where you think, ah, we're full speed ahead, 100 miles per hour. Maybe you even try and focus on getting up to 105 one way or another. And that's what he says is uh, the pursuit of a better rate of return. But let's not ignore, again, the environment that we are operating in. Because here's what happens. The arrival syndrome could set in. We're moving at a full full steam ahead, you know, 100 miles per hour. Okay. But if we'll wait to catch the tailwind, what does that look like? Just like there was 345 miles per hour of headwind, when we have and add 345 miles per hour of a tailwind to our airplane that can move at 100 miles per hour, right? through the environment in and of itself, we're headed now to Chicago like we wanted to ex exponentially faster than an airplane operating at its full 100 miles per hour or even the financial genius that gets his airplane up to 105 miles per hour. We're blowing right past that airplane. But again, let's really remember the situation. See, what Nash is talking about when he says the problem, is what the average American situation is. So when we remember that, in fact, everyone is also working in an environment that's pushing them backwards, that masses and masses of interest are leaving their hands forever, and if we are in an airplane that's moving in the opposite direction, in our actual true intended direction, and they're moving backwards, See, that's a difference of like 600, 700 miles per hour of a difference. So that would put us going forward hundreds of miles per hour, them going backwards hundreds of miles per hour. So what the true case is, the difference between those two. So the phrase of compared to what comes to mind. Those are Nash's words. Compared to what? How are we doing compared to what that airplane is doing going backwards hundreds of miles per hour fighting against those headwinds? Okay, so let's remember that the problem is describing the average person's environment and how they're interacting in that environment. And I believe that when we really see what he's laying out for us in this section of the book of the problem that we will readily want to address 
that problem. And we certainly will here very soon. So I hope that this has been helpful in reading and evaluating. If you're vetting the idea of becoming your own banker, of implementing the infinite banking concept as described in our Nelson Nash's book, Becoming Your Own Banker. And if you're already a practitioner, if you're already a client, then I hope that this has been helpful in your progress of implementing the infinite banking concept into your household and your business and your investing. So if you'd like to carry this conversation on personally, you can reach me at 828-817-4223 or you can email durhamtalents at gmail.com. Stay tuned for our next installment of this book review. This has been a great pleasure for me. I look forward to our next conversation. Have a great day. Take care.